Welcome to season five of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, refreshing and captivating interviews with sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Mike Greenberg to Ryan Dempster, Dan McNeil to Sarah Kustak, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories some you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow or subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. They can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. And by BetUS, America's favorite sports book. Check them out at BetUS.com. This week, we feature a very unique voice to the Chicago and national landscape, Wayne Mesmer. It was so emotional that it took really intense concentration because uh, it's tough to sing with a giant emotional lump in your throat when you're about ready to burst into tears and then finished and was just like a, just like a wet dish rag, just sweated, you know, throughout both of them. And then uh, <clears throat> Kathleen was with me up in the organ loft and we just kind of gave her a big hug and we said, man, we, oof, we just did something. When you think the singing of the national anthem at sporting events in Chicago, one name rolls off the tongue, Wayne Mesmer. Blessed with a bold and melodic voice, Mesmer has become a treasure here, delivering the anthem at a number of venues, including the old Chicago stadium, when his rendition during the Gulf War became famous. Mesmer also had to deal with a tragedy that nearly ended his career, but now, in his 70s, he's going as strong as ever. So, Wayne Mesmer, tell me a story I don't know. Well, I will tell you a story of, uh, of a fly at Wrigley Field there, George. I, uh, somewhere in the probably, uh, I'd call it the late 80s, uh, mid to late 80s, I'm standing there singing, and as as one sings the national anthem, you're standing there naked and uh, unaccompanied, and there's a fly that's buzzing my head and circling around. And uh, so you kind of keep an eye on him. And there's not too many opportunities to take a breath during the anthem. There's only about three major gasps where you, uh, you know, replenish the air. And I didn't want to look like Groucho, you know, looking around watching this fly, because you're never sure whether the camera is on you or not. And uh, next thing I know, I took a gasp for the next phrase, and I swallowed the fly. Yeah. What do you do at a moment like that? Well, you know, a little protein in the early afternoon, I guess. Uh, then you kind <clears> of... <throat> <clears throat> and pick it up and go again. You know, I'm, I'm not from the top, but right where you left off. Which reminded me of back in the, this had to be early 80s, when uh, I was singing at uh, Chicago Stadium at a Bulls game. And uh, they used to just give you the, uh, when you would sing the anthem, they would just give you the, the microphone, the stand mic that the PA announcer would use. And you'd walk out there and on a cord and it was on a little stand and you'd grip this thing to engage the microphone. And uh, I'm in the middle of singing and uh, this thing just hit the floor and it was live, it was hot. And so again, what do you do? You pick it up and you pick up right where you left off. 
So those were those were my uh, anthem interruptus moments. So I'm immediately thinking of a Three Stooges episode, Wayne. I, I remember it was called the Opera Singer, I think. And this is where uh, the Three Stooges are singing in front of people, but it was actually a recording of opera singers, and suddenly somebody goes back and takes the needle off the record. That's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty similar. Pretty similar, yeah. I mean, well, you know, what the heck do you do? You know, you, everybody's looking at you. You might as well uh, just continue. And I remember talking about it because somebody said, well, what happened? Well, I swallowed a fly. You know, that's all there is. <laughs> what else are you going to say? Yeah. I recently saw an extraordinary story on 60 Minutes about Tony Bennett. Oh, who, who I saw is, it. Oh, it's amazing. Of course, he's dealing with Alzheimer's, yet he remembered every song and every uh, note at a concert at Radio City in New York. Let someone start believing in you. Let him hold down his hand. Let him find you and watch what happens. Yeah. He's 95 and, as you know, can still belt out a tune. I'm very lucky to say that I saw him way back in 1980 before he became famous again. I'm not mm -hmm. suggesting that you're going to be singing or even breathing at 95, but I imagine if you stay healthy, you can continue singing for a long time. I think so. And, you know, people have asked me about that. How do you maintain? Well, first of all, I... I I understand and certainly appreciate the gift of being given a voice that sounds pretty good, speaking and singing. So you want to be careful about protecting the golden goose. However, uh, you referred to an incident that nearly took not only my voice, but my life back in 1994. And the work that was done, I think I equate it similar to a, a pitcher who has had uh, Tommy John surgery and comes back really mechanically better than before. So uh, in essence, I had a new voice installed, a new throat <laughs> installed in, uh, <clears throat> in the spring of 1994. So I'm a youngster in that regard. Um, and, and I, I kind of want to keep that in mind, because if I were living up to, uh, you know, the actual chronological age, it probably should be slowing down a bit. But you're right. Tony Bennett at age 95 is an inspiration for anyone who has ever sung a note in their life. Well, not only him, but some of the rock stars who are singing, albeit they may not be quite the same. But then again, I look at Paul McCartney, who's edging towards 80. And he sounds great. Yeah, I know. My wife Kathleen went to the uh, the Wrigley Field concert, uh -huh. and she couldn't believe it. She's he sang three hours straight and, and never stopped, and never took a drink of water. Yeah, because she's a singer too. So you we're you know we're aware of that kind of stuff. And uh, hydrating as a singer is very important. I use, uh, I like to drink when I do a, a gig, a two hour, a three hour, a one hour gig, whatever it is. I like to uh, hydrate with a club soda instead mm -hmm. of water. 
but uh, that gives me the opportunity to, uh, you know, turn and uh, belch when I look at the piano player too. <laughs> <laughs> Good thinking. Good thinking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, when did you know you had this gift and when did you act on it? This broken heart and I agree that you and I could never be so Well, my dad was a singer. He used to sing the old, uh, the old favorite country stuff. Uh, you know, the, the Eddie Arnold uh, guys like that, uh, um, and uh, you know, etc. But <clears throat> so he played guitar, and we always had singing around the house. My brother is a writes tons of songs and sings as well. Uh, my younger sister Tina is also a singer and is very active in the Chicago area, but. Uh, as for me, I kind of pretended one time to be able to sing and got a role in a musical in high school. And I was a French horn player and I was watching the auditions and one jamoke after the other is getting up there and I'm thinking, this is terrible. You know, so I'm a wise guy making fun of people, of course. And uh, <clears throat> so during the break, I got up and said, why doesn't somebody just you know, singing, oh, what a beautiful morning. And I was pretending like I was you know, Gordon McRae or one of those uh, singers from the past. And the director popped his head in from the back of the auditorium and said, when we get back, resume, you're going to sing that for real. And I thought, oh, geez, now I'm, I'm going to embarrass my own self, my own self. But uh I pretended like I could sing by imitating. So I kind of accidentally discovered the natural ability. And then through uh, not until college uh, did I start studying voice and uh, really developed it. And it was down at Illinois Wesleyan in Bloomington where uh, a professor one day uh, kind of grabbed me with a, uh, you know, the Vulcan Mr. Spock death grip on the shoulder as we're walking on campus. He said, you're fooling a lot of people, but you're not fooling me. I thought, oh boy, here it comes. He said, do you want to really do something with that voice? He said, because you have a natural gift. And I said, well, thank you. He said, but you, you, technically you got to figure out how to do this right. So he said, come to my studio tomorrow morning at eight o'clock. In the meantime, forget everything you think you know about singing. So I did. And uh, we worked at it, and uh, he changed my life. A guy named Dr. David Knott. And uh, I, I always uh, attribute whatever I know about singing to him. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. 
We return with Wayne Mesmer on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I was a soloist in grammar school for our the one and only time Hibbard Elementary School had a Christmas concert. Now understand back then at Albany Park, Hibbard School was like 95% Jewish. The leader of the event was named Mrs. Goldberg. And I'm thinking to myself even then, how are we putting on a Christmas concert? Right. Anyhow, I got the lead <laughs> to sing something called the Pinata Song. I stand maybe three foot high, weigh about nine pounds, and I'm holding a 10-pound pinata. However, right. I was good. And yet, and my parents said, you know, you should continue in music. So, but, but I, my, my mind was somewhere else. And I did take piano lessons, but, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, and it had nothing to do with music. So, yeah. but, but you took the different, I'm thinking to myself, geez, I could have taken a different path. I could have been Wayne Mesmer. You could have been, and we would just switch our conversation. <laughs> I'd be asking you the same question. But you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I, be I begged for music lessons uh, when I was six years old, six, seven, eight years old. I mean, I, I just begged for them. And I uh, lived in a Polish, predominantly Polish neighborhood, Southwest Side, Brighton Park in Chicago, Kelly High School. And the kid next door was an all city baseball player. And uh, he played accordion very well. And I thought, well, you know, because some people make fun of the accordion. There's the, there's the phrase that says, a gentleman is someone who knows how to play the accordion, but chooses not to. <laughs> and, you know, but I, I, I wanted to play. And so uh, we bought an accordion and uh, I started studying and actually still very proficient on it. But that's what... Uh, my background was. So my dad would play, I would play, my brother would play guitar. And it was, it was sit around the kitchen and, and make music. So music has always been a part of my life. And then some success in high school and into college. And then I was in graduate school at Loyola and the Loyola University hockey team had a club team and they played out at Franklin Park Ice Arena. And uh, I'd go to the games because a bunch of my buddies were on the team. And uh, nobody was doing PA. It was kind of boring. If you, you know, it was, well, I mean, the games were good, but I said, how about I, I volunteered? Why don't I do the, the, uh, the PA announcing? So, okay. So I figured I could fake that too. And uh, after a couple of games in, I hit the tape for the national anthem and it was a cassette that just kind of went, you know, whoa. <laughs> and I said, well, that's not the version we're looking for. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I, everybody looks at me, well, what, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. So I just sang it. And that was the very first time I ever did it publicly. And they go, whoa. And most of the guys didn't know that I had a music background. So they're banging their sticks like crazy, you know. It's all right, well, I'll do it next time too. And then just started doing it. And uh, that, uh, that was fun. So then I knew I could do that. But the whole thing that I've had for the past, oh man, 40, yeah, 40 years, has been uh, uh, with the Chicago Sting that mm -hmm. got me going, and uh, indoor and outdoor. So I did, you know, the indoor games when they were far outdrawing both the Bulls and the Blackhawks. That's right. People people don't remember or may not remember that the Sting won a championship, and I remember covering some of the outdoor games, including I think. It might have been a, a uh, division championship at, at the old Comiskey Park 
in the rain yeah. drew 36,000 and the yeah. indoor games, you were right. There were a lot of people at the stadium for this. I, I thought it was a terrific sport. For Chicago, looking for Carl Hines Granitza. He has it to Symington. Marrera. Turning, there is Granitza to score. He got a beautiful pass from Neil Roberts and it's three to two. The Sting have scored. It was fun. Yeah. Last, because I, you know, nobody was telling me what to do or how to do it, and I was a fan, and it was fun, and I was thinking, well, this is neat. I get a couple tickets. I can have my family. My parents used to love to come to those games, and I get a free meal out of the deal and a couple bucks on top of it. It was, as they say in my old neighborhood, beautiful. <laughs> so uh, that was neat, and that exposure led to uh, uh, doing the, uh, the Blackhawks for 13, which I did for 13 years up in the old Oregon loft stadium. Mm -hmm. And that also led to a phone call in 1982 when I was working at uh, WXFM uh, radio 105.9. And you were uh, doing the news, weren't you? I was doing news and sports and then hosting shows. It was, it was like working at WKRP in Cincinnati because, uh, <laughs> you know, gee, this guy is, this guy quit. Uh, you know, do you want to do classical music? Oh, sure. You know, why not overnight? Not exactly what I wanted, but you know, that kind of stuff. It led to a jazz program, an old time radio show. I mean, it was great experience and we were covering the sting games and, uh, that's how I talked my way into an invitation during a, a Christmas party. They were in the same building as us. And so I waited until the, the punch bowl was pretty well depleted. And I figured my, uh, my negotiating power was, uh, was strengthening by the minute. So I went down to their party and kind of invited myself. And I say, oh, we'd love to have you. But I think they thought it was going to be one of those DJ versions, you know, the, oh, so that kind of stuff. <laughs> And I came out and just, you know, tore loose with God Bless America. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. So that was, you know, come on back and do it again. Come on back and do it again. And finally, the light bulb went on, even though it was like a five-watt bulb. But I said, well, pay me, and I will. And so we struck a deal, and all of that led to, you know, other things. One day at WXFM, uh, the, the great uh, girl who worked there uh, buzzed into the studio. Um, you have a phone call. It's someone named Eddie on line one or line two, whatever it was. Eddie, who's Eddie? So I pick it up. Yeah, Wayne, Eddie Einhorn. <laughs> so let's let let's let me explain for people who may not know this as well. Eddie Einhorn was Jerry Reinsdorf's partner when they purchased the White Sox in 1981. Correct, correct. And so I, of course, being a little suspect of the characters that I hung around with, said, "Yeah, I'm sure you know Eddie Eddie Schmetti. It's probably <laughs> you know." So I talked with him and uh, for a while, and he said, "We'd like to." spice it up a little bit and uh, Lee Stern speaks highly of you and uh, we'd like to have you come out and be our uh, PA announcer and sing. Okay. Well, growing up on the South side, you know, working at Comiskey Park was kind of a 
childhood dream coming true. So I, 82, 83, great year. And 84, I was the uh, voice of Comiskey Park. And uh, that was, that was fun. And, uh, you know, all of that just, I mean, we had the all-star game in 83. Obviously they won the division by 20 games. Thanks to Jerry Dibzinski, I didn't get to sing at the division series because I was on for game five, which didn't happen. Um, then all of these years doing this, and then in, in 1993, had a conversation uh, with Grant Mulvey, who's the only guy to ever score five goals in a game. For That's Black right. Hawks. And I was the PA announcer of the Hawks game of that night, by the way, by some weird coincidence. And he said, we're starting a, a project which was going to be professional roller hockey. And uh, I said, well, that sounds kind of nutty. I think, you know, he says, can you help us put this thing together? Like in terms of uh, developing the organizational chart or, or hey, why not, you know, it'd be a fun project. So I started, I started doing that as a, uh, as a consultant. And then uh, in the process of doing that, all of a sudden, well, we have an opportunity to get an expansion team in the International Hockey League on real ice, real hockey. First, you know, the first recommendation as the consultant, get rid of this roller hockey thing. So dump that and then went about the business of uh, starting the Chicago Wolves hockey team, which I've been a founding partner of uh, and drew the business plan and the marketing plan and the game presentation plan and, uh, uh, you know, sat with the, with uh, Andy Hernowitz, who uh, as he pencil sketched the development of the logo. So my fingerprints are pretty much on everything when it comes to the Chicago Wolves. I want to go back to the anthem because you close it with an accent on the word brave. Tell me a story I don't know. Why did you do that? And did you ever think it would be copied by so many in different fashions? Well, I, I started doing that. Uh, it happened spontaneously one day or night at a Blackhawks game. And uh, the, the cheering during the anthem, believe me, is nothing new, despite some people making that claim. It goes back to 1985 when it really uh, exploded and has been kind of carrying on. But uh, people were going nuts. It was a big game. And... Uh, the uh, the anthem just felt like it needed to finish with our you know rah, it, it, in musically it's it's called ending on the dominant so the fifth of the chord mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it just finished with a flourish and I thought well that's different that's different and so I did it again the next game and a dear friend of mine Ron Bedell who's who's my uh, pledge son in college and best man at our wedding and stuff is a fabulous musician. And he said, you know what? I think you ought to keep doing that because it ends, it ends on such a high, literally a high note. And uh, I said, okay. So I did for the Hawks games, but then I was still doing the White Sox at the time. That's how long, far back I've been doing this, uh, ending it that way. And uh, unaccompanied, it, to me, it sounded weird, like the chord didn't resolve at the end. But then I kind of, it, it grew on me and then it became kind of a 
trademark thing. Mm -hmm. And I am such a stickler for don't screw around with that song. So in many ways, I kind of had that internal battle. Okay, Mr. Don't screw around with the song. You're screwing around with the song. But to me, I kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, it felt right. And so I kept doing it. Major League Baseball is underway, and BetUS is your home for every game, plus the NBA and NHL playoffs and the PGA Tour. Sign up now, and first-time bettors will get a 125% bonus with our promo code STORY22. That's STORY22. Future odds, live betting, and great parlay plays also await you at BetUS. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Go to BetUS.com and remember our code, STORY22. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There have been many versions of the national anthem sung before games. I go back to, what, the 1968 World Series and Jose Feliciano back then, and that was such a controversial, yet very inspirational version of the anthem. There have been bastardized versions, and then there was one that always sticks to me, and that was the one done by the great Marvin Gaye. This is the 1983 All-Star Game at the Forum in Los Angeles. What did you think of it?
the Marvin Gaye thing was interesting because that was, to me, that was soulful and it was yes. honest. It was yes. honest. Uh, it wasn't a, hey, look at me. That was a, man, this is how I sing and I'm going to express myself. So I, 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 I kind of dug that. Others I didn't like. So while this is going on in the early going, you're acting um, in Kiss Me Kate on the lakefront, right. opposite a very important person in your life. Yeah, we, uh, Kathleen and I were cast opposite each other on March 25th of 1981 to uh, perform Kiss Me Kate, which is uh, uh, Cole Porter, the great uh, writer, musician, composer, <clears throat> uh, down to the lakefront. And uh, we got the leads and uh, it's a adaptation, a musical adaptation of uh, Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. It's a tough show. It's a, it's a hard one for uh, both leads musically, vocally. But interestingly enough, there's a, uh, there's a scene where there's a slap and a spanking uh, on stage. <laughs> and uh, I get slapped one night and I swear, I thought my jaw was dislocated. She wound up and gave me a- This is Kathleen. She slapped you that hard. Uh, I think I, I, you're supposed to, you know, there's a way of taking a slap <laughs> on stage. And um, I think I, it was like the shortstop throwing off the wrong foot. I took it. Wow. And so, but the sequence works where the spanking uh, that I get to administer comes, <laughs> after the, comes after the slap. So let's just say we both went home that night in different directions uh, with, uh, shall we say, a red cheek. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> yeah. We did a bunch of other shows together. We did South Pacific. We did the Fantastics. We did the Music Man. Uh, we did a little night music. Um, it just... It's, it's fun. And then we still get to sing together uh, periodically, half a dozen or so times out at Wrigley as a duet on a Sundays. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. She's partnered with you. She's pretty yeah. good at the singing thing, too. It's not bad. And, you know, it certainly improves the visual uh, portion of our act by her uh, coming out there. But uh, it's fun, you know, and uh, it, I don't know. People like the husband wife thing and I kind of like it, too. There is a signature moment for all of us in this industry. And I have to believe that the 1991 NHL All-Star Game at Chicago Stadium was for you. Gulf War is taking place. And there is a large national TV audience that gets to live an unforgettable sequence of events. And you were very, very much at the center of this. NBC was covering the game, the All-Star game that year. And uh, they had opted out of the anthem on a game that was telecast from the stadium earlier that year. And the fans were like, come on, what's the deal here? So this was a day and a half after the Gulf War had begun. So the emotions were running high. So the patriotism was at an honest level 
of, uh, of in, enhanced state. And I knew before the game, they said, we're covering the Canadian and the U.S. anthem in its entirety. If we need to break away for a news break or update of any kind, it's not going to happen to replace the anthem. Okay, cool. So it's rare when what we are God gifted to do and requested by man meet at the same intersection. But that certainly was it. That was where if you're ever going to do this thing right, this is the time to do it. so emotional that it took really intense concentration because uh, it's tough to sing with a giant emotional lump in your throat when you're about ready to burst into tears and then finished and was just like a just like a wet dish rag just sweated you know throughout both of them and then uh, <clears throat> Kathleen was with me up in the organ loft and we just kind of gave her a big hug and we said man we Oof, we just did something. And then that night, uh, later in the, in the evening, every local and national newscast opened and closed mm. that video. And I thought, wow, this, is, this was quite a day. That is probably, to this day, one of the most memorable renditions of the national anthem, I, I could argue, in this country's history. Well, it is. And it, uh, I just happened to be the guy there. And, and I fortunately had the ability and the, and the gift to be able to do it right at a time when we needed to hear it right. It's interesting because that was broadcast to the troops uh, via Armed Forces uh, Radio. And years later, probably three years later, I'm uh, singing at, a, at an event at McCormick Place. So I'm backstage and it's a big convention and uh, uh, I'm, I'm standing there and, and backstage there, it's pitch black. And all of a sudden this hand comes down on my shoulder and I, whoa, you know, I turn around and then this giant meat hook of a hand extends itself and said, Wayne, thank you for singing the song the way it's supposed to be sung when we needed to hear it done right. Well, you're welcome, General Norman Schwarzkopf. Oh my goodness. And it was like, wow. And I love telling that story to kids that's saying, you never know who's watching, who's listening, but it means as much as it, it, it means to you, it can just have an enormous impact on other people. I mean, there's not a, I mean, I can't even begin to count how many times people have said, you know, I was, I was over there and uh, saw this on, uh, on armed forces TV or radio or however it was, it was broadcast. And uh, they get very teary eyed. I do the, uh, uh, the honor flights, I don't know if you're hip to those, where they send veterans over to Washington, D.C. for a day and do all the memorials and then come back, Chicago and Milwaukee, fabulous deals. Well, now they're into the, 
the World War II guys are, you know, there are not many left. And then we have some Korean War guys. But now we're getting into my generation of the Vietnam and yes. the, you know, and the Gulf War guys. And, and it's because of that song, you know, and that and really that particular version touched a lot of hearts. I sometimes feel guilty making a career out of a song that I learned in first grade, but apparently I paid more attention than the rest of the kids in class that day. Well, you you have made a career out of it. And I wonder if you look back at that moment at the Chicago Stadium in 1991 and said to yourself, I really made it. Uh, I did say I did something today that was of significance. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog. Dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasoning such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. I want to take you back to April of 1994. You're having dinner on the West Side. It's at a restaurant. And suddenly, you're shot and in the throat. Yeah. Tell me a story I don't know about that incident. Well, I could, you know, I, I did write a book called The Voice of Victory. And it describes in great detail every step that I took that night. And, uh, and the recovery afterwards, which was, I will tell you, a steep hill to climb. One bullet struck him in the neck, paralyzing his left vocal cord. He nearly died. He was unable to speak for weeks, a tragedy for a man who makes his living with his voice. Doctors were unsure if he would ever speak again, much less sing. Yeah, I was off after a Blackhawks game, a 6-1 victory over St. Louis Blues on a Friday night. Uh, walking back to my parked car, which is a block and a half away, and uh, Taylor Street, and got almost to my car, saw a young man walking down the street about four car lengths away. And I kept my eye on him as I got into my car, started the car, backed up and started to pull out of the parking space, and didn't realize that uh, this 16-year-old who I had my eyes on just stood there as a 15 year old ran up on me. And as I pulled out of this parking space, he banged on the window right next to my ear on the driver's door, bam, bam. And then <clears throat> pulls the trigger, point blank, nine millimeter. Shot through the glass, hit in the neck. And oh man, at a moment like that, you know, people talk about their life flashing before their eyes and all of this. 
I just thought survival and I hit the gas and took off. Never saw the kid who pulled the trigger. Uh, looked at the young man who was standing there who first kind of gave me a little bit of a start in the first place. And he's standing under a street lamp. And I'm thinking, I want to get a good look at this guy. He may be the only eyewitness to my murder. I didn't know how bad I was hurt, which is kind of fortunate. But I drove a block and a half back to where I just come from, parked the car, got out, walked back up to uh, where I was, knocked on the door. And uh, you talk about a buzzkill, you know, to walk back in. Here's an anthem boy who's bleeding like... Uh, something out of the old west and i sat down i couldn't make a sound I and mean, i could not even make a it was kind of a death gurgle and i kind of you know motioned that i've been shot which was pretty obvious and uh sat down waited for the police the ambulance to arrive and uh when you drop oil a little drop of oil in water how it scatters that's kind of how people were it's like nah this is creepy here one person who was a, a nursing student and a, and a friend uh, came and sat by me, and I will never forget that kindness. And uh, off we went from from there to a county hospital, where they did a uh, overnight ten hour surgery. Woke up two and a half days later with a lot of questions, no voice, on a. Uh, on a respirator, on a, I mean, I had an IVs going every imaginable place, and they had done a tracheotomy, so they had uh, opened me up uh, on my throat from ear to ear. And uh, I mean, a while later, after I started to become conscious again, I'm thinking, uh, you know, is this a nightmare? Well, yes, but did it really happen? Yes. And uh, I'm thinking, I I've got to maintain some sense of humor to keep me from imploding. So I write down on a slate to Kathleen, I, I imagine myself when they gashed me from ear to ear to get this thing, I said, looking like a Pez dispenser on the operating table, you know, and uh, she says, oh, you are still as crazy as ever. And over the period of time, she looked at me and said, we should try our best for complete recovery. And I am thinking, I, I, I'll do what I can, you know. You're sitting there, you must be thinking somebody just took my livelihood away. They almost oh, took uh, my life away, but they yeah. just about took my livelihood away. Well, who I was, I knew was not going to change. But what I do for a living, I very painfully and soberly uh, recognized may have come to an abrupt end. Uh, but it, it, it didn't. It didn't. Six months and five days later was the first ever Chicago Wolves home game out at the Allstate Arena, then the Rosemont Horizon. And I walked out there October 14th, uh, which is, you know, an anniversary here, um, and walked out and sang in front of 17,000 people and felt like I could walk on water because I, it gave me a tremendous message that uh, you're not done yet. You're not done. You know, that there are still things to be accomplished. And the number of things that I've been able to do since then is uh, attributed solely to that understanding that when we still have work to be done, 
Uh, and I feel I've got a great deal of work yet to do. Uh, it, it's a great motivator. There are other moments in your wonderful career, including game five of the World Series at Wrigley Field. What a thrill that had to be. Oh, man. I had sung uh, God Bless America for game three. And then on game five, uh, they said, we want you to sing God Bless America and the national anthem. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't know if they could have possibly understood how significant that day turned out to be for me. Because in my darkest hour, when I was uh, still recovering and I've got the tracheotomy and, uh, and uh, I was angry and, and, and it, what am I gonna do to keep from losing my mind? This is back still in obviously in April of 94. And I thought four things to keep me from losing my mind. One, nobody was gonna steal the opportunity for me to sing again with my wife, Kathleen. Two, I wanted the Chicago Wolves, which at that point had not played a game, severed my relationship at the time with the Blackhawks. And I wanted the Wolves to be a success, okay? Three, I wanted to record at some point in my life uh, an album, a CD of songs that if the voice comes back, I, I, songs that I love from my heart. And then the fourth thing, and I swear to you, this is from probably April, it was April 15th, I know exactly, of 94. The fourth thing was if the voice comes back and if, which proves that I was pretty heavy on morphine at the time, if the Cubs make the World Series, uh, I would love to sing a game. Now, on October 30th of 2016, Kathleen and I started the day by singing at a luncheon for a dear friend of ours and her birthday party. Musical stuff, you know, I mean, the good stuff, even something from Kiss Me Kate. Then we drove from there. So that was check mark number one, singing with her <clears throat> from many years ago. Then we drove out to a Wolves game at four o'clock, walked out on a carpeting and sang in front of a, about 15,000 that afternoon. Wow. And uh, it, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait a minute, these are two of the things that I hung on to for dear life. And so I wanted the Wolves to be a success. Yeah, they're a success. Three, we got into the car and drove to our next event. And I put in a CD of an album that I did with a marvelous pianist by the name of Judy Roberts. And there's a song called You Are Too Beautiful, which is about as romantic as it gets. And I leaned over to Kathleen. I said, when I recorded this, I was singing this just to you, which is a good line, by the way. And uh, so that album was done. So those are the three, those are three things that I, that I prayed for, that I hung on to. And where were we heading? Down to Wrigley Field for an 8 p.m., it was all the same day for the 8 p.m. game five of the World Series. And it didn't hit me until I was walking out onto the field and I saw the World Series logo emblazoned on home plate. And I thought, this is not your Tuesday afternoon against the Phillies. This is serious stuff. For the ramparts we watched we're so gallantly streaming. And I walked out there and I thought, 
every music lesson, every dream I have ever had, every time I've ever stood as a child blowing out the candles on a birthday cake. This is it. This is it. Not many people know this, but you're quite the entrepreneur. So tell me a story I don't know about Wayne Mesmer and Associates. That is a full service financial services company that uh, I started in uh, 2002. And so I did over 700 uh, retirement seminars. And uh, so I bought a lot of chicken legs for people. And uh, we have built a, a beautiful, beautiful company. We've helped so many, so many people in so many ways financially that it, it's, uh, it's very rewarding for me. And that's still very healthy. And you're also doing a show now on one of my favorite radio stations, WDCB, which yeah. is about jazz. And I love jazz. I'm on Sunday nights at 7, 7 to 8 p.m. Welcome. Come on into our radio lounge. Get nice and comfy. Oh, we have some great tunes, some positive vibes, and some good company all planned for you for the next hour or so. As I say, welcome to the Wayne Messmer Radio Show. So an, an hour a week that I invite people to kind of unplug from the grid and uh, just relax and hang out with uh, the Wayne guy who uh, invites you into what I refer to kind of this theater of the mind, come on into the radio lounge. And, uh, you know, if we're going to have somebody play the piano, why shouldn't it be George Shearing or Oscar Peterson? You know, why not? And so I love doing the show. You know, it's, it's I prepare my own, select my own tunes, uh, prepare a playlist, uh, no commercials, and uh, just visit and uh, hang out for an hour. And it's, it's pretty popular. I get some nice uh, response from people all over the country because of the, uh, you know, WDCB.org streaming uh, live. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I end all of these interviews, Wayne, with this final question. If not for your voice and singing, what would you have been? I would have been, there were two people who were kind of my uh, role models, and I'm a TV guy, TV generation guy for sure. One was Dr. Bellows on I Dream of Genie. He was the, he was the guy who tried to keep... Uh, you know, Tony and Roger from uh, tearing things up. And he was a psychologist. And, uh, and then also Bob Newhart playing uh, Dr. Yes. Robert Hartley. That's what I thought. That's why I went to graduate school to become a psychologist and, uh, uh, and continued. And now I have a PhD in psychology. So, you know, if I wanted to open a shop, uh, hang out a shingle, I suppose, uh, I, I could do that, and I would have done that, but that's what I figured. I, you know, have an office on Michigan Avenue, find a, someone like Suzanne Plachette, live in Lincoln Park, take the L downtown, and, you know, go from there. But opportunities fall in front of you that are sometimes too good to pass up. And for me, I am a musician first, and everything else is second. I, I, I recognize that. Do me a favor, Wayne Vesper. Keep singing and for a long time. And thank you for telling me a story I don't know. It has been a delight to uh, to chat with you. We go back, man, we go back 40 years probably. Mm -hmm. 
it's been a delight watching watching your career as well and uh, this has been fun my thanks to 60 minutes on cbs wgn tv nbc sports abc7 news in chicago wdcb in glen ellen paul mccartney in concert at wrigley field and the wayne mesmer quartet for those absolutely wonderful and memorable highlights my thanks as always to tj reeves for being a guiding force behind this podcast will hatzel for his expert editing and mixing and nick tochi for our excellent graphics and to our wonderful sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, Vienna Beef, and BetUS for their significant contributions. Tune in next week for another episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe. No minimum balance requirements and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.